Okay, this morning let's take our Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And again, I'll be reading from verse 1 through verse 11, Exodus chapter 20. This is Ten Commandments. It's also listed right there in your bulletin. Verse 1 of chapter 20, it says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generation of those, generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your, your male or your female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For six, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we again come to your word, we want to humble ourselves under your mighty hand, we know, Lord, that as we open up the Word of God, it is a serious matter uh, to listen to the Word of God, to uh, understand it, and then to put it into practice. Lord, let us understand the things that are contained therein and how they relate to the New Testament so we can faithfully and regularly practice the Lord's Day. And Lord, thank you again for giving us and allowing us to have the Word of God and follow through with it as we can read it ourselves and then take it home with us and read it during the week. It is a great privilege. Help us never to take for granted of that. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So the fourth commandment, this is the second message of this fourth commandment. I'll probably do one more before I go to the fifth commandment. It's the longest commandment as you uh, already noticed there, it gives more information than any other one. Uh, and the first commandment, as we looked at it, uh, means that we recognize that he alone is God and is to have first place in our hearts and lives. Uh, that's the first thing. Secondly, the second commandment, man must not attempt to make any visible representation of the invisible God. Thirdly, we saw that we have a responsibility to take up the name of God and are responsible for his reputation before a lost and a dying world by treating his name with honor, respect, 
reverence in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. And of course, last time we looked at some things that were a necessity when it came to the Sabbath day from the Old Testament for Israel, and there were four, four ideas in mind. And the first idea was that of redeeming. Uh, God is a God of, uh, or excuse me, remembering. The, also, secondly, of rest. Thirdly, of redemption. And fourthly, of righteousness. So this fourth commandment was that included those particular things. Now, the second message on this fourth commandment includes two very important days in the Bible, the Sabbath, which we're looking at also, and the Lord's Day. Uh, now, I would like to proceed to examine the Lord's Day. So, so far, we kind of gleaned uh, some principles from the Sabbath day from last message, and today I would like to ex- really examine the requirements and obligations regarding these two days and identify any similarities, if there are any, and then, of course, what does it mean for the believer? Now, I don't know if I'm going to do all that today, but I'm going to try to. Now, the last time we looked at Mark chapter 2, verse 27, and uh, Jesus was saying there in that passage of Scripture that the Sabbath was made to benefit people and not people to benefit the Sabbath. Jesus, the man from heaven, also claimed in the next passage of Scripture, which I did not look at yet, but is on the screen, which says this, that Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, what does Christ being Lord of the Sabbath mean for Christians? It means our Sabbath or rest is not prescribed in a day. It is prescribed actually in a person to whom the Sabbath of the Old Testament pointed to. The Sabbath in the Old Testament really was a shadow of what was actually going to come in the person of Jesus Christ. So it pointed to Jesus Christ. The Christian rests in Christ having ceased from all self-efforts to be saved. Christ, in other words, is our Sabbath rest. This is the meaning of, the he- of Hebrews, where it says in Hebrews 4, 9, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So just as God kept working, despite his creation rest, to sustain the world, in his mercy, so Jesus would continue to teach and heal on the Sabbath day. That's kind of what we see in the New Testament. He did things on the Sabbath, annoyed the religious leaders, but he was making a point. The point was that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. He can do what he wanted on that day. So Jesus said that the one day his redemptive work would be complete, and then the Sabbath's purpose as a sign of redemption, would be accomplished. So the Sabbath, really remember, what mean, which means to cease or desist, was given to Israel as part of the Mosaic law. But when Christ died 
for sinners on the cross of Calvary, the entire system of shadows and types came to an end because Jesus fulfilled them in his person and in his work. That means that the death of the Lord Jesus Christ brought an end of the legal Sabbath observance. So his resurrection marked the beginning of a new and a special day, that which is called the Lord's Day, which we celebrate today. So therefore, the weekly Sabbath has not been changed from Saturday to Sunday necessarily. The Sabbath has actually been fulfilled and completed in Christ. So if somebody were to say, are we required as Christians to keep the Sabbath today, I would have to say yes and no. No, we don't actually worship on Saturday as Christians. We worship on Sunday. But we do fulfill the Sabbath because we are in Christ, because he fulfills the Sabbath. And I'll explain that a little bit more probably next week. So why do most Christians today worship on Sunday instead of on Saturday? It is because resting in Christ for salvation frees us from the bondage to the law of the Sabbath. The resurrection made Sunday a joyous and an appropriate day to gather for worship and the celebration of Christ's victory over sin and death. And that is why. Christians set aside Sunday as a special and a holy day. So let's take a look at some of the scripture related to these two days. First of all, let's look at the Old Testament. Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 31 in verse 16 and 17. Now, in looking at this, I want to make a few points. And the first point is this, that the Sabbath was for Israel and not for the church. The Sabbath was for Israel and not for the church. Now, since we are now under the new covenant, as Hebrews uh, 8 tells us, we are no longer required to observe the sign of the Mosaic covenant, which, which was for Israel. So, in other words, that the Sabbath was assigned to Israel of the Mosaic Covenant. And the scripture shows us in Exodus 31, 16 and 17, it says, so the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. But notice verse number 17. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. So this passage of scripture is relating to us that this Sabbath day was a sign between Israel and the Lord forever about, of course, his creation work and really his redemptive work in delivering them from the bondage of Israel, of Egypt, which is going to point to the ultimate deliverance of those who believe in Jesus Christ. So that leads us to some things that were said in the New Testament. And if you take your Bibles to the New Testament and look at 
a few passages of Scripture there because now the Apostle Paul is telling the church, uh, because now the church is in, includes Gentiles and Jews together, he's telling them, listen, the Gentiles are not required to do what they did in the Old Testament, and he's beginning to teach that in the New Testament. And so let me say, first of all, that the New Testament never commands Christians to observe the Sabbath. The Apostle Paul actually warned the Gentiles about many different sins in his letters, but breaking the Sabbath was never one of them. All the commandments are are transmitted to the New Testament except the Sabbath because the Sabbath was for Israel and not the church. Now look at the Galatian passage of Scripture in Galatians chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. This is what Paul is saying to them. He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. And then he says this in verse number 11, I fear for you. Now he's afraid that they have are being entrapped by the legalistic keeping of the law and he is telling them listen and concerning days and months and years like doing all these things for you to be right in a sense with God. He's saying in verse 11, I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. So this passage of scripture uh, in Galatians here is Paul warned the Gentiles about these particular things. And uh, as he says to the Galatians, you are trying to find favor with God by what you do and don't do certain days, months, seasons, or years. I fear for you. He rebuked the Galatians for thinking God expected them to observe special days, including the Sabbath day. So he really uh, was bringing this across, saying, listen, the New Testament never commands Christians to observe the Sabbath. And then the next passage also is Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 17. Notice what it says here. It says in Colossians 2, 17, verse 16, and uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, he says, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Verse 17, he gives the reason why they are not to do that. It says, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come but the substance belongs to Christ. All right, so he is telling them, listen, all these things that the Old Testament shadows were pointing to has its reality in what Jesus Christ did when he came into the world and he died on the cross and he lived an obedient and a perfect life and then he defeated Satan in death, and he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. All those things are a fulfillment of all those things that were in the Old Testament that were pointing forward to what he would do. So Paul explicitly refers to the Sabbath as a shadow of Christ, which no longer 
really, which is no longer binding since the substance has come. And what is the substance of the shadow? Christ himself. In other words, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. Clearly, we do not become righteous or gain God's approval by observing the Sabbath or celebrating certain holy days. Instead, Christ provides the true spiritual test for our souls through faith in him. The Sabbath was to be a shadow while Christ himself is the reality of that shadow. So that is, becomes a very important point in the New Testament. Secondly, under this point, there is no hard, fast rule for a Christian with regard to to the Sabbath. Even Paul said in Romans, one person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. So in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another, while others think uh, every day is alike. Well, each person should be really convinced about the matter, and the way they're convinced about the matter is to understand how Christ fulfills the Sabbath rest that was on given to Israel. So, in other words, Paul forbids those who do observe the Sabbath at this point in history not to condemn those who do not observe the Sabbath, specifically the Gentiles who really knew nothing about observing the Sabbath. No, even when the church councils were convened to decide crucial church matters in the book of Acts. Not one word was said about keeping the Sabbath. In fact, in Acts 15, verse 10, it's recorded, this is what's recorded there. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which is neither which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. And he's talking about the yoke of the law, that they were to be law keepers, and in spe- specifically those things which have now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So the conclusion of the council that met was that the Gentile Christians were to, uh, were to enjoin, enjoin to abstain from certain things, like the drinking of blood or the strangling of those kind of things, uh, of fornication and those things. But if the Sabbath-keeping were mandatory in those councils, it would have come up, and it did not come up. And the reason why it did not come up, because theologically, Jesus Christ became the fulfillment of all those pictures and types and shadows in the Old Testament. So again, really, it's not about the law. It's about the person, Jesus Christ. And so Christianity really is not is about the person. It's not about a religious system. It's not even about do's and don'ts. It's about worshiping Jesus Christ, who becomes the focal point of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So see, that means when we meet on Sunday... 
what happens there is that there's a basis on why we meet on Sunday. And so that's what is explained in the New Testament. The basis of Sunday worship is, first of all, that we worship on Sunday because the Lord Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. That's why we worship on Sunday. Now, most Christians treat Sunday as a special day, as a day of rest, as a day for worship. Sunday, in, in a, a, a sense, replaces Saturday as the Sabbath because Jesus' resurrection occurred on a Sunday. So it is sometimes called the Lord's Day. In other words, the Lord's Day really should be what we call it because it is a focus on the Lord. It becomes His day. His day in which He fulfilled all the requirements of the law. And that's what we come to celebrate. We come to celebrate what He did for us. And so when you come to the New Testament, you find out that, listen, there's passages of scriptures all over the place that mention this particular thing. You know, notice what this says in John 20, 19. It says, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week. Now, that's not a common thing for writers of scripture to identify a day unless it was a Sabbath or it was a special feast. So here he is saying specifically in this passage that it's the first day of the week something is happening. It says, and it says when the door, the door was shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. Now remember, this is after the resurrection that Jesus is now visiting his disciples. He's not walking through doors. He's not knocking on doors and walking. He just is appearing to them while they're in a closed area which, uh, with a locked door. And he's telling them th this is all happening on the first day of the week. So this is the day of the resurrection. They're afraid of the Jews. They lock themselves away. Jesus shows up on that day, on that first day of the week. Right, so that becomes a very important day. And then, of course, down to verse number 26, the same thing happens. It says, after eight days, now, of course, eight days would be the first day of the week. After this event, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, uh, came the door having been shut, stood in their midst, and said the same thing, peace be with you. So in this passage of Scripture, we see that this first day is highlighted for us as a special event, as a special day, a day of the resurrection. Now, I'd like you to take your Bibles at this point and turn to Acts chapter 20, because in Acts 20, we have a, the curtain is kind of pulled back for us to see some things that happen in the New Testament worship service. It is, uh, it's very significant because Dr. Luke, of course, Dr. Luke the, uh, is the one who wrote the book of Acts, uh, mentions the day of the week. Now, for elsewhere, he rarely identifies a day unless, again, it's a Sabbath or a special feast. Also, the phrase you're going to see in the passage, 
we were together or we gathered together is a semi-technical term in the New Testament to identify a Christian assembly for worship. So that the Sunday meeting was obviously treated as a special occasion for believers. All right, and so look at Acts 20, verse number 7. Now, I just want to just jot down some of the things that were going on here in this uh, passage of Scripture. In verse 7, we see that they, they met on the first day of the week. So now the first day of the week would be Sunday, all right? And then in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7, they met in a designated place, all right? And, of course, here's this technical term. They were gathered together, and what do we do on a Sunday? We gather together, we leave what we're doing, and we come and we gather with other believers uh, on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, in a designated place, and that place could be anywhere. It doesn't have to be in a building. It could be anywhere. And when they gather, what do they do when they gather? In verse number 7, it also says, when we were gathered together to break bread. Now here... This is included in worship. The Lord's table was something that was taking place when uh, the Lord uh, instituted the Lord's table. The church began to continue that. We're we're continuing it today. The elements of the bread uh, that represents the enfleshment of Christ coming into the world, the element of the fruit of the vine that represents the blood of Christ, those Two central elements are crucial to the gospel. That's why the Lord left us that ordinance, so we don't forget it. And what we do, we do it in remembrance of what? The Lord, right? So again, the Lord becomes the focus on the Lord's day. It's not the law, but the Lord becomes the focus. So it's the person that becomes the most important thing on the Lord's day. But if you notice in this passage too, what do they do on the Lord's day? They listen to preaching. Paul began talking to them intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. Nice long gospel message. That's what I like, right? Long gospel messages where people are there ready to listen, eager to listen, and that's what they do. They meet, and they he preaches the word of God. Now, unfortunately, uh, along the way, some people may fall asleep, but not you. Some people may fall asleep, and notice in... Acts chapter 20, verse 8, 9, and 10. It says, they were, There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together. And there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell on him, And after embracing him, he says, do not be troubled, for his life is in him. In other words, which was uncalled for on on a Sabbath day, this is the Lord's day, they did good deeds. Paul Paul resuscitated this man by the power of God, right? He was dead, now he's alive, right? And so they did good deeds on Sunday. And after a, a nice long message, and he did that, the people were quite encouraged, Right? And then there's another thing they did is that on the Lord's Day in verse number 11 of chapter 20, it says they fellowshiped. There was a love feast. When he had gone back up and broken bread and eaten, he talked with them 
a long time until daybreak and then left. So here's a bit of a picture of what we do today. We, we, do, we follow some of these same things today. We, this is where we get the structure of how to do church. All right? Another thing that actually takes place uh, in church that's not mentioned here is like in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. He's talking to the Galatian church, and this is what we know what they did. They actually took an offering. They, they gave. Uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2, uh, let's see, do I have that on here? Right here, it was, it was well, he says here, in, in that's not First Corinthians. Uh, he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also on the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collection be made when I come. So it was a practice on the first day of the week that the people would come and they would give for various needs, to supply needs, to supply for the Lord's work, to supply for whatever was needed. The gathered assembly could no longer depend on anyone else for financial support, so the church gathered together had to do that. So the main purpose behind the church's Sunday meeting was distinctively Christian. It was distinctively focused in on the person of Jesus Christ. And so then we get to the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, and what does the apostle John say? He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, now, we know that day is the first day of the week, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the trumpet, the sound of a trumpet. So John is, is saying here that he practiced, even John being uh, imprisoned was practicing uh, the first day of the week as the day of worship for those who have come to believe in and trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, since... The time of the early church, the first day of the week, has been the Lord's Day. It has replaced the Jewish Sabbath as the special day of worship. And John here saw Sunday as the Lord's Day because on it, Christians expressed their total commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord, as Master. It was Jesus' resurrection on the first day of the week that demonstrated the lordship very clearly. And therefore, it was the church's worship, worship of the lordship of Jesus Christ that expressed and recognized him as the one who redeemed them from the slave market of their sin and rescued them from its condemnation. That's what we actually celebrate when we do it on the Lord's day. So, yes, it is Sunday that is the important day for the believer. Now, the second thing here is that the worship worship on Sunday, we worship on Sunday because the Lord fulfilled the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember, when Jesus went back to heaven, he told his disciples, they were disappointed that he was leaving them, they were, they were sad he was, he was leaving, John 14 uh, gives us that sense, but he says, listen, I have to leave 
Because if I don't leave, the Father can't send the promise of the other comforter that's coming. And the other comforter that is the same as Christ is the Holy Spirit. Now, that becomes important because it was the Holy Spirit that was poured out on the church on the first day of the week. Now, in the early church, worship occurred on the first day of the week, that is on a Sunday, to commemorate, again, Christ's resurrection. But the early church initially participated in the Jewish ceremonies. And it was during the Jewish Feast of Pentecost, after, this is after Christ's resurrection and ascension, that the Spirit was poured out. This fulfilled the prophecy of Joel to begin the history of the Christian church. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse number 5, it says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So it had to be that Jesus had to leave and ascend into heaven before the Holy Spirit can come. And the Holy Spirit came to indwell believers, and the believers would be the temple of God. He would come and dwell them, but it's not just the individual believer. It's when we gather together, the church is pictured in Ephesians as being the temple, that God dwells amongst us for those who are believers. And as we gather together, we together, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, lift up the name of Jesus Christ and proclaim him as the one who is our Lord and our Savior, the one who was and is and is to come. He's the one that we come and worship. Now, here in Scripture, in Acts 1-5 at least, it is referring to a day called Pentecost. The name of this festival comes from the Greek word 50th. It was celebrated on the 50th day after Passover. That means seven Sabbaths after the first fruits would be 49 days. So this feast is also called the Feast of Weeks. It was a harvest festival celebrating the end of the barley harvest and the beginning of the wheat harvest. So this second great festival, Pentecost, the week of weeks or the week of harvest, lasted one day and it was observed on the 50th day. That means seven weeks after the end of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that means Pentecost marked the end of the barley harvest and the beginning of the wheat harvest. Now, I want you to notice this, what's mentioned on the screen. Notice what it says there. It says, each year, the priests waved a sheaf of newly harvested grain before the Lord on the day after the Sabbath. Now, the day after the Sabbath would be what? Sunday, right? It would be the first day of the week. During the unleavened bread, the period of seven days following the Passover. So the pouring out of the Spirit of God on his disciples, the birthday of the church, it occurred on the 50th day after the Sunday that the wave sheaf was presented to the Lord. So that, in other words, it fell on Sunday. Now this is another reason why we observe it as the Lord's Day 
It's because that is the day that the Lord poured out the Holy Spirit of God on the church. And here's the passage in Acts. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And look look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues. That means other languages as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So that this is the birth of the New Testament church when the Spirit of God was poured out upon this church on Sunday. All right, so the resurrection becomes important for us. The day of Pentecost occurred on the first day of the week. Now that brings me to a third basis of the church of worship on Sunday and that we worship Sunday on Sunday because the Lord fulfilled the demands of the law that on that particular uh, the, that's why we do not necessarily uh, keep the law in the sense as a legal requirement we keep the law in our hearts as a something we want to do something that we do because we we appreciate what the Lord has done for us and of course In Matthew chapter 5, I mentioned several weeks ago, in verse 17 and 18, it says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets, Jesus says. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. So Jesus says don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish what Moses wrote or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to fulfill them. I assure you, until heaven and earth disappear, even the smallest detail of God's law will remain until its purpose is achieved. So Christ's covenant, he with us, he covenants with us, uh, does not, his covenant with us does not abolish the law, but it fulfills it. The principle that we all need weekly rest and an opportunity to worship God still holds true until heaven and earth disappear. But now, we don't do it because the law says to do it. We don't meet together as a mandate like the Sabbath. We do it out of gratitude. We do it out of love for our Lord. That's why we do it. And why does that happen? Because the Spirit of God who indwells us puts it in our heart to be there amongst God's people on a regular basis on Sunday because of our overwhelming thankfulness for Him saving us, rescuing us from the Uh, the condemnation of sin that we could have never rescued ourselves from. And that's why we come together on Sunday. So Sunday worship stems from the New Testament times, the resurrection and the day of Pentecost, 
occurred on the first day of the week, and it, is, it soon became the practice of the early believers to meet together to worship, to fellowship, to praise God, to study the Word of God, and, of course, to give and to serve on that particular day. It is not a day that is legislated for believers. It is not a day that is legislated for believers as the Sabbath was. There are no regulations for its observance laid down in the New Testament. In other words, we don't meet to fulfill legalistic demands. We don't do that. We meet on Sunday because we love our Lord Jesus Christ and we desire to give him the honor that is due his great name. That's why we do it. That's why we, matter of fact, that's why we should do it. And so, see, that's a great motivator for us to not make excuses when it comes to worshiping God's people. In other words, it's not a sin against law when we don't worship God as we ought to. It's a sin against love. It's a sin against not a law written on stone. It's a sin of a person who died in our place, who is our Lord and Savior. That's more serious. And so we have to be very careful that we do not treat the Lord's Day in a frivolous way, but in a very sober way. But, but in a way it, that we, we don't have to do this, but we want to. That's the great motivator as a Christian. I want to do this because I am so incredibly filled with joy because of what Christ did for me. I want to be there. And I want to serve God and his people. And I want to lift up his name and give praise in the assembly about the great things he has done for me. That's what I want to do. Now, this last one that I want to mention, I'm going to only mention briefly and pick it up next week. And it's this, that we worship on the Lord's Day, that Sunday, to celebrate our present salvation rest and our and to anticipate our future eternal rest. All right, that's why we meet on the Lord's Day. Now, I want, to take, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews, because Hebrews is a book that really explains some of the difficult parts of what happened in the Old Testament, especially concerning the sacrificial system, the law, and even the Sabbath day. What did it really mean in Hebrews chapter for notice in verse number 2 through 7, but I do want to also bring you back to verse number 1, but let's look first at verse 2 to 7, and it says this, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, for indeed we have good news preached to us just as they also but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed entered that rest, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Verse 4, for he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, 
they shall not enter my rest. Verse 6, therefore, since since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. Verse 7, and he again... He again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, what is he talking about there? He's talking about the Sabbath rest that comes to the people of God after they believe in fulfillment that is found in Jesus Christ. All right. Now, he's saying here, some people heard the message on how to have this eternal rest, but rejected it because they didn't believe in Christ. But some people did receive the message, and they received the rest that comes in Jesus Christ. What rest? The Sabbath rest. As the people rested on the Sabbath day, now we rest in the work of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that rest is is not only a present rest, all right? I don't have to be frantic about whether I'm a believer or not. If I am a believer, if I've trusted Christ, if I'm following Christ, if I'm worshiping the Lord, because he's taking care of that and he's actually given to us rest. So, see, rest means freedom, from whatever worries us or disturbs us. It means freedom from guilt over sin. Why? Because Christ has taken our guilt. It means no more shifting about in frustration from one thing to another, no more running in circles, wondering if we're doing the right thing, wondering if we have enough good works to please God. Wondering if I've just done enough of anything. See, that's not what it's about. No, I am to rest in Christ. I am to enjoy Christ. That's what worship is. I am to understand all he has accomplished on my behalf. So to enter into God's rest means that for the remainder of our lives and for all eternity, we can lean on everything God has done. And such rest is full, it is blessed, it is sweet, it is satisfying, it is peaceful. Amazingly, this is what God offers every person who comes to Christ. Every person can have this rest. But I want you to notice back to verse number 1 of Hebrews chapter 4. Notice what it says there. Here's a warning. A warning in verse number one. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. And then in verse number two, he says, you heard, but it did not profit you. And then in verse number three, it says, And we who have believed entered that rest. But those who did not believe did not enter the rest. Matter of fact, it says in verse number 6, they failed to enter because of disobedience. 
And what does all that mean? It means that mere, who had more knowledge of God than any group of people on the face of this earth? Israel, right? They had everything. They had all the Old Testament prophets. They had the Psalms. They had the law. They had everything they, they, you needed to come to Christ, come to the Messiah, right? So it mean, what it means is that mere knowledge of God's message is not sufficient for salvation. You can know a lot about all of it, about the Bible, and still not be saved. A second thing from this passage, it must be appropriated. This rest that God gives us must be appropriated by saving faith. I must believe the facts of the gospel. I must ask God to save me. If I call upon the Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised him, raised him from the dead, I will be saved. You will be saved, right? It says that in Romans chapter 10. So see, I must appropriate the knowledge of what I know about God and where it leads me from its, the shadows to its fulfillment in Christ and believe in the end result, not, not get stuck in the law in the beginning, but where, where it was all heading, and it was heading to a person called Jesus Christ. Also, those who exercise faith in the message of God, the Bible definitely says to us, we will enter into this spiritual rest. This rest, God's eternal and heavenly rest, or Sabbath rest. See, the old Jewish Sabbath actually is a type of heaven. It was only pointing to its fulfillment in the eternal Sabbath, the eternal rest of peace, of enjoyment, of communion with God. Look at this passage right here in Hebrews. Well, is this chapter 4? Chapter 4 in verse number 8 to 11. It says this, For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. In other words, Joshua was only a picture of what was coming when, when the people went into the land and God re- let them rest in the land, right? And then it says this, verse number 9, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So th- that was something future. Verse 10, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. There's not one thing we need to do to be saved except believe in the result of all the shadows and types and believe in Christ, right? You don't have to do one other thing. And then in verse 11, it says, Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. In other words, if you don't believe, you're disobedient to God. And the only thing the Lord could do for those who are disobedient to him is they're still under his judgment They are still under his wrath. So that means the writer of Hebrews explains how Christ fulfills the twin biblical Sabbath themes of creation and redemption. 
he did so by linking together the ideas, the idea of God's rest after creation and his redeeming worth in bringing Israel to rest in the promise in the land of Canaan. And then he describes how both these events relate to the present and the future rest that Christians can enjoy with their relationship in Jesus Christ. So, I'm going to pick that up in the next message because I've, it's a little bit more than what I can just tell you now. But as we just look again, there are certain things that we want to just bring together. And it's this. First of all, the Sabbath is the seventh day and the Lord's day is the first day. Both are separate days, each set apart for the purpose of worshiping God Almighty, specifically for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, the Sabbath was for the nation of Israel, and the Lord's Day is for the church of Jesus Christ. Next, the Sabbath commemorates God's creation rest, while the Lord's Day commemorates the resurrection, the fulfillment of the finished work of God. Also, the Sabbath, the Sabbath commemorates the, a finished creation. The Lord's Day com commemorates a finished redemption. The Sabbath was a day of legal obligation. The Lord's Day is for voluntary worship. It is the law of love for Christ that will regulate the in and influence the believer's conduct on the Lord's day. And it is the same love that will move the believer to prepare himself for Sunday morning worship and take care of things on Saturday and make yourself ready for receiving what God has for you on Sunday through the word of God and through the fellowship of believers and even the taking of the sacraments. Also, attendance at church and performance of spiritual service should never be done grudgingly, but with an attitude of what a glorious privilege for us to be here, for our ears to hear the word of God, for us to experience and live out what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Also, Considering that, the Lord's Day, Sunday, is a special day. It is a time we rest from the temporal cares of our life. We pull ourselves away from our regular schedule to voluntarily worship God. Also, the Lord's Day, Sunday, is a special day, a day we voluntarily assemble ourselves with other Christians for solemn worship, happy service to God, fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ and a time of praise and spiritual activity like serving and giving. And then the Lord's Day Sunday is a special day, a day we come and celebrate the resurrection of Christ and rejoice in our new life in him. We are reminded we are born anew by faith and thank God for the miracle of redemption.
performed in us. And then a last thing, at least for this morning. The Lord's Day, Sunday, is a special day, a day we come and offer to God as an act of worship ourselves, our lives, our wealth, our time. A time to do good and a time to meet pressing needs. That is all part of why we meet on the Lord's Day. So if I could end like this, I believe the Sabbath was the picture and the fulfillment is Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning. In some difficult parts of the Bible in understanding what you have been doing all along, Lord, that your plan is so clear and so complete that, Lord, you tell us, even like it says in Matthew, don't worry about tomorrow. Why is it that we don't worry? Because we are resting in Christ and what he's done on our behalf. We're in Christ. We have his spirit. And we're looking forward to the eternal rest we have someday when we're in your presence. Lord, I, I must confess and admit that I don't always live there. But I pray, Lord, that you would teach all of us here today to live there more than we do. And I pray, Lord, that we would prepare ourselves uh, for worship on Sunday in a way that we're filled with joy and we're filled with gladness and we're filled with just the thought that what a privilege it is to come and worship you and give you our honor and give you our praise and give you our time and give you our service. I pray, Lord, we would always think of it like that. And if we haven't, Lord, bring us to the place where we do. And I know, Lord, when we do that, we won't grieve the Spirit of God or quench him, but we will be walking in the Spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Make us people like that. And Lord, this morning, also, I pray that you would prepare our hearts today for the Lord's table as we partake of the elements that are the focus of the gospel itself, the body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, as we prepare for the Lord's table, I'd like to have men come forward and